Hello again, Memphis, and welcome to Storyboard 30, taken right out of the pages of the monthly print journal that you now know as Storyboard Memphis. Storyboard 30 brings some of those same Memphis personalities and shapers right here into the WYPL studios for 30 minutes of talk to hear about their passions, their initiatives, or to just talk a little bit about what makes Memphis, Memphis. On acoustic guitar for our show intro was our friend Jeff Hewlett. Jeff is a regular contributor to Storyboard Memphis and plays regularly with his friend Leah Keys in their duo, Leah and Me. And I am Mark Fleischer, publisher of Storyboard Memphis and your host for the next half hour of Storyboard 30. My guest today is someone that most Memphians know by name, namely for his close association for 35 years with the grand old dame of a theater on the corner of Maine and Beale. He is one of those influential figures from the early 1980s going forward who played a huge hand in the revival of downtown. He arrived at a time when Beale Street was literally a ghost town, when downtown was just about deserted. And he retired from his post with downtown's re- revival in full swing. I am talking, of course, about the one and only Pat Halloran, the longtime president and CEO of the Orpheum Theater. Mr. Halloran, welcome to Storyboard 30. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I'm very thrilled to have you here today. I want to talk about a few things. We, we have to talk about the Orpheum a little sure. bit. Sure. But I wrote in the April issue of Storyboard, I wrote that guys like Pat Halloran don't retire they find a way to give back. So you started Positively Memphis. So definitely want to talk about that for a bit. Mm-hmm. But let's take a little journey back, if you, if you like. You're a Nebraska native. Right. Yeah, from Omaha. And you went to the University of Miami, mm-hmm. right? Graduate school. Gradu- graduate school. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, so you went to... you Nebraska. went to Actually, I went to the uh, Omaha University, which became the University of Nebraska at Omaha after I had graduated. They gotcha. wanted to completely disassociate me from the university, so they changed the name. <laughs> but uh, but it was uh, Omaha University, a municipal university. You know, a lot like the University of Memphis started out, Memphis State University. But yeah. Mem- you know, Memphis is University of Memphis is a bigger, bigger thing now. But so is Nebraska. But anyway, then I when I graduated, I went to Miami to uh, graduate school. And you went to graduate school in Miami, and you got an interesting invitation to go from Miami to Memphis. Yeah, I sure did. I was uh, on the staff at uh, the University of Miami as assistant dean of men, and I was in charge of the student body association and fraternities and the honor council and those kinds of things in, in their concert series. And I was there. I finished my degree in three years. I was getting ready to be promoted to the president's office who was my idol, uh, Henry King Stanford. What a great name for a university president. Henry King Stanford. And he looked like a Henry King Stanford. It was a great guy. And he offered me this job. And so I was getting ready to do it, and I was going to take over in in September. But in the spring of 1970, I got a call from my college fraternity, which was located here in Memphis. It had a big old beautiful colonial building across the street from what was then Southwestern and now is Rhodes College. And our headquarters was there. And it was a big operation. People say a fraternity. What, what are you talking about? You sit around and drink beer all day? I said, no, not quite. I said, I had a staff of 34 people. We had 140 alumni. Mm-hmm. We printed a magazine four times a year to our alumni. And we did all kinds of, we owned a lot of real estate. We owned the property where all these fraternity houses were built in 38 states. So we had a huge mortgage lending operation. But anyway, 
so I, I really battled the whole idea of giving up this job at, with the president because I was starting my Ph.D. Mm-hmm. at the same time. And uh, I really admired the president of the university. And then this opportunity, opportunity came up to me. Make a long story short, uh, with his advice to do this because it was going to be much more of a responsible position than what he was offering me in his office, which would have been the president's gopher, mm-hmm. uh, he said, you're going to wind up taking a lot of little old ladies out to lunch and asking them for money when I can't go. <laughs> and uh, you're going to have to sit in a lot of faculty meetings and take notes and then come back and tell me what they're saying. And so he said, why don't you take this job in Memphis for two years and I'll hold this job for you. Mm-hmm. Because the guy that you would be replacing, he, he'll he'll stay on for two more years. He's uh-huh. been with me for 25 years. So I took the job and I moved to Memphis on July 4th. 1970. And this was a year after, uh, actually it was 69 now that I think about it, it was 1969. And uh, it was a year after Martin Luther King had been killed, Mm -hmm. assassinated. So all my friends in Miami knew that I was getting this big job with the president's office. And I was single and I loved Miami. It was a hoot back in that time. I'm sure. (laughs) I lived in an apartment complex with 1,500 stewardesses and they were called stewardesses at that time, not flight attendants. (laughs) And you had to be blonde, Norwegian, Swedish, and beautiful to be a stewardess. So I lived in this complex with about 18 other guys and it was fabulous to say the least. But anyway, I took this job. I came up here with the idea I'd do it for two years. After I got to Memphis, uh, I really got involved. I got involved in a governor's race because I was involved in a governor's race in Miami. A friend of mine that I met here, I didn't know anybody when I moved to Memphis. I knew three people uh-huh. that worked in the fraternity when I came here. I didn't know another soul. Uh-huh. And so I came here and uh, I took that political advisory position uh, on this governor's race. I ran the campaign in Shelby County. And then I got a TV show with Channel 13. I was a member of the Junior Chamber of Commerce, and the Junior Chamber was invited to do a talk show once a week uh, at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, which is the prime time. <laughs> right. And, uh, and it was going to be a talk show. And because I had majored in radio and TV, the JCs won. This new guy, Halloran, he ought to do that. So I got it. And I got very involved. And um, I interviewed the mayor every once in a while and city councilman and Fred Smith. And the TV program is called Mid-South Profile. And I did it until 1974 when I decided I was going to run for the city council. So I had to give up the TV show because they said, you're a political candidate. We can't have you on TV every <laughs> every week. So I, I got out of that. But that was the beginning of the best part of my life. I mean, everything was unfolding unexpectedly. And it just kept opening one door after another. And that's why I said when I started this Positively Memphis, which we'll talk about, I really think, and I'm not saying this, this is not a, a, a false hum- humility plea. I really think I'm one of the luckiest people in this city. Yeah, you said that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can tell you now everything I everything that happened to me. I was on the I first of all, I got elected to the city council citywide. I'd only lived in Memphis for four and a half years. And everybody kept saying, Well, Pat, you're you got that rate TV show and everybody likes you. You're a nice guy, but you're not gonna win in uh-huh. Memphis because you didn't go to Old Miss. You didn't go to UT. Right. You right. didn't even go to Memphis State. <laughs> and I yeah. said, yeah, but you know, 
We'll see. Well, I ran citywide. I got 70%, 67% of the vote, and I didn't, I didn't even have a runoff. So I thought, this is a great place. This never would have happened to me in Miami. So I'm on the city council. I'm getting a little cocky, and I decided I'm going to run for mayor. So I ran for mayor in 1975. It was all geared. The incumbent was not going to run, Wyeth Chandler. He told me, Pat, I'm not going to run. I'm going to be a judge. So go ahead and go. And the numbers looked like I would have a cakewalk yeah. because Memphis at that time was not ready numerically to elect an African-American. It just wasn't going to happen because right. of so much prejudice and everything. But I'm going to take advantage of that because I got one swing at this bat. And then about halfway through the campaign, Wyeth Chandler decides he's going to run again. So he came in and upset my whole life. So all right, I'm thinking, I've been so lucky. Things are so good. Well, I didn't win the mayor's race, but I always tell people I beat Prince Mongo. Yeah. And yeah. I'm very proud of that. Got more votes than Prince Mongo. I got a lot of votes more than Prince Mongo. <laughs> and, so, and so now I'm going, and I had to resign my position with the fraternity because I was going to campaign for six months. So here I am. I'm unemployed. There were a couple of intermittent stops there right away after I wound up losing the mayor's race. A good friend of mine, Avern Fogelman, who was at the time one of the biggest real estate opera, uh, managers in the entire country and in Memphis, um, I had talked him into buying the Memphis Rogue soccer team from a guy in Tampa mm-hmm. when I was on the city council. And mm-hmm. I went to him and I said, and he was always a good friend of mine. And he supported me when I ran for city council. So I went to him after about three years on the council, and he knew I was going to run for mayor. And I said, Avrin, you got to buy this soccer team. He said, I hate soccer. I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. I'm a baseball guy. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, this is for the kids. Mm -hmm. This is not for you and me. It's for the kids. So I got him to buy this team for a million dollars, and he hated it from day one. And so one day he called me at three days after the mayor's race. And he said, so what are you going to do now, big shot? And I said, <laughs> I am going to be a consultant until I find something to do. He said, consultant, my, uh-huh. he said, you are going to run this soccer team you made me buy. So Monday morning, you get your over to my headquarters and we're going to talk soccer about team. you running this soccer team. Uh-huh. So I said, well, I don't have anything else to do. He said, I'll pay you whatever you were getting paid. I'll give you a car. I just want to get this off my desk. So I went to work. After about eight months, he came to me. He said, we need to go to lunch. And we went to lunch, and he said, I need you to resign. <laughs> I said, I thought we were friends, Avron. <laughs> I thought, I'm doing okay. He said, it's not you. He said, I, you, you're going to run for mayor again. And I don't want this on your shoulders because I hate this soccer team. <laughs> and I'm going to sell it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to buy the Kansas City Royals in about seven months and i don't want this on my record uh-huh. and i don't want it on your record you uh-huh. run for mayor i don't want him to say well look what he did with the memphis rogues uh-huh. he ran him into the ground and they sold it uh-huh. he said so i want you to get out i said so okay so now i'm without a job again mm-hmm. the door swung open four weeks later the orpheum was creating a board and they called me because i had just run for mayor everybody knew me whether they liked me or not, they knew me. And they called me and said, we'd like you to come and have breakfast with the executive committee. And so, and I knew some of these people. So we went to breakfast and he said, we bought the Orpheum. It's in horrible condition. It's falling apart. We don't know what to do with it. We just didn't want to see it destroyed. So we think you ought to 
come and raise money and restore the Orpheum Mm -hmm. and be the president of the foundation. And I said, you know, that's the only offer I've had since I lost the mayor's race that worked out. (laughs) So I said, all right, I'll do it for two years. Same thing I used in Miami when I came. Two years. I said two years. And so I wound up going um, to work for the Orpheum. And once I got into it, Raising the money was not that difficult because people wanted to see the Orpheum survive. Mm -hmm. Memphis, downtown Memphis, was a catastrophe. Yeah. The Peabody was not open. There were only two restaurants in town. One was the Rendezvous, and the other one was a place that served greasy cheeseburgers in a drive-in motel down on Front Street. It was horrible. Anyway, the door swung open, and I told them I'll do it for two years. After I got into it, we started looking at Broadway shows, and we're getting it resort, and mm-hmm. it just turned out great. And I wound up being there for 35 years. 35 so, years. So now you know all about me. There you go. In case you're just joining us, you're listening to Pat Halloran. This is Mark Fleischer, host of Storyboard 30 on FM 89.3 WYPL. So you call yourself the luckiest man, one of the luckiest men on the face of the earth, to quote Lou Gehrig almost, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So you spent 35 years at the Orpheum. You retired, like I had written, guys like Pat Halloran don't retire, and they find a way to give back. Let's talk about this, Positively Memphis. What inspired you to think about starting something like this? With my close association with the political structure in the city and knowing mm-hmm. so many of the, the leaders of the community, I always heard this background about the negative things that local people that were saying about the city. And there's still a little bit of that. But at that time, it was horrible. Mm -hmm. Uh, People would tell people, you don't want to move downtown. And don't go to, well, Beale Street wasn't open, but even after it was, people said, don't go down there, you'll get murdered. Real estate agents would tell people, you do not want to live in downtown Memphis. You want to live in Germantown and East Memphis and maybe Midtown, where you live. Mm Mm-hmm. And I kept hearing this and hearing it. And, and, and then I realized that so many of my best friends that I had known for a long time, really close social friends with, with my wife and I, they had never been to the Civil Rights Museum. They had a bad taste in their mouth about downtown. Even some of them would come to the Orpheum begrudgingly because it took too long to drive there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've got friends that live in Connecticut that drive two hours to go to a Broadway show in New York. Right. And, but these people are saying, it takes 35 minutes to get there. And I'm going, oh, you poor thing. Maybe you ought to get a helicopter. <laughs> but anyway, it just turned out to be something that constantly, constantly was in the back of my mind. And I, I went back to this, I'm so lucky. But as I said in the original statement, I also knew there were a lot of people that were not lucky at all. Yeah, This city has a huge, huge, uneducated, below the poverty level, family existence and I thought you've got to do something you've got to get the people that can do things to help the people that can't yeah and so we started developing my wife and I we started developing the ideas but I had so many of these ideas in my head for years Uh but I didn't have time because of my other employment Uh to do much about it but when I started with the Orpheum I had no trouble we raised a hundred million dollars during the 35 years that I was there hundred million dollars and it wasn't me it was people that said we like what they're doing we like education for the arts we like the Halloran Center we like restoring the Orpheum we like letting the kids perform at the Orpheum. Everything hit on all the cylinders. It was like being in the fastest car on the road. And we just kept going forward. And 
we had fundraisers and we raised 18 million for the Halloran Center and I got when I left it was paid for people were saying well we might have to borrow money and we'll pay it back in 10 years I said when I retire you're not going to have a debt and uh-huh. so we got it out of the way and like I said it was the people of Memphis that did it they yeah. just all I had to do was throw it out there mm-hmm. so I'm hoping that with Positively Memphis we'll throw it out there I'm just at the beginning of this whole thing, but we've got our second luncheon next Wednesday. Yeah, luncheon. And we're having uh, Kevin Adams, who's going to talk about Union Row, which is the biggest development in the history of West Tennessee. A billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. And people still don't fathom that. I was just at uh, an award luncheon for retired county mayor Bill Morris, who I just went, he just got an award two hours ago. Mm -hmm. And I was at this luncheon. I know that the city's got a lot of great things going on, and I just want to be behind it and push it as hard as I can. I'm going to be a little fly on the rear end of a donkey, but I think more people will get involved. Mm -hmm. And I have so many friends that have been so supportive Mm -hmm. of me and what I've done with the Orpheum that I think we're going to succeed. When we sat down a few weeks ago, we were talking about the fact that it's important to have continue having these conversations to get out there, and that's the spirit of the luncheons, is to continue the conversations, to have people get out in front of people and talk about all the great things that are happening in, in Memphis and all that. What was your first luncheon? Was who? was with Dr. Scott Morris, who started the Church Health Center, and he is one of my best friends, and he married my wife and I. Mm-hmm. I think 17 years ago. Don't quote me on that. I might miss it by a year. But she always goes, no, it's not 17. But uh, anyway, he married us, and he and I were in leadership Memphis together, and we've been friends. So when I retired from the Orpheum, he was on my board, he was on my board at the Orpheum, and he said, let's go to lunch. I said, the last time somebody told me that, I got fired. And he said, no. He said, I want to talk to you. And we went to lunch, went downtown to Rizzo's, and he said, so what are you going to do? And this is one of my best friends. So we talked about me opening an art gallery, which I did, mm-hmm. which was one of my huge failures in life. I've had two art galleries downtown, and both of them have been disasters. <laughs> he said, how do you think that's going to go? I said, I'm not doing it to make money. I'm doing it to bring people downtown. Yeah. So anyway, he said, why don't you come to work for me at the Church Health Center and help me move into the new Crosstown, which they hadn't moved into yet. I said, so what do you want me to do? Be a laborer and put bricks on top of bricks and mortar? Uh He said, no, I want you to raise money. That's what you do, Halloran. So I went to work for him as a volunteer. I'm still doing it, but I told him, I said, I've got this other thing going. So I had him as my first speaker, but he and Mary are some of our dearest friends, and we've been to New York together, and, and we have dinner with them all the time. So I did that, and, and now I'm, I'm kind of moving down to a lesser role with them, but I told them I'd keep doing, heading up the legacy program, or working with another guy that really heads up the legacy program, which is getting people to put the church health in their will. Yeah. And so I'm doing that. So that's the reason I had him for a first luncheon. Yeah. And each, each of these luncheons, we don't try to make any money, but we add a little bit to every luncheon ticket so that we can award $500 to a charity. And so, of course, the first $500 went to Church Health Center. Mm-hmm. So we gave him that, and so we're doing another one next week. And we'll probably, since uh, Kevin Adams' wife works for the Halloran Center, I think I'll give him $500 to <laughs> that, that building. My, my granddaughter, Bryn, she's seven. 
And every time we drive by it, she says, Papa, that's my name up there, not yours. I said, well, don't worry, honey. Everybody knows that. So uh, we're going to probably make a contribution to the Halloran Center next, next Wednesday. Oh, very good. So you have a little bit of merchandise that goes along with this. Yeah, we have T-shirts, visors, yeah. baseball hats, and we have a lapel pin that, that I, I really designed back when I was with the Orpheum. My wife and I designed it. We used to hand it out to people that came to any of the fundraisers. And so when I left the Orpheum, I had 2,000 more printed or made. Now we, we give those with anything, with any contribution. So let's see. I want to talk about some of the things you have going with Positively Memphis. And that's uh, like one of the things I was reading here, providing young people through the region with exposure to the arts and educational opportunities outside the classroom, right? How does that happen because you mentioned some of the programs at the Halloran, for example. Well, there's two parts of that. First mm-hmm. of all is, which I've already started, and that is that I'm only hiring junior and senior college students to mm-hmm. be on the staff. We're not going to have any salaried people. Mm-hmm. My wife and I are going to make a contribution every year to underwrite the majority of our expenses. Mm-hmm. The only people that will get paid are juniors and seniors in college. And let's say they are... Uh, studying marketing, which is what Kelly Schaefer, who's my only intern at this time, mm-hmm. she's a marketing student. She'll be a senior next year. She's been with me for six months. I pay her $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. I pay all of our interns $15 an hour, or I'll accumulate all that and help them pay their tuition, whichever mm-hmm. they want. That's one of the programs we're giving young people a very important part of their life, their education, and we're lining up people to do uh, editing for us because I'm not a very, I'm a visionary. I always tell people, like, I'm not good at grammar or <laughs> punctuation. Just I'll get the thought down there and somebody clean this mess up. <laughs> so we're going to have a writer, a copywriter, and a proofreader. And we're going to have uh, a person that uh, will be handling social media for us. Kelly does marketing of the T-shirts and all of that. We're going to have an event planner, and all these people are going to be paid 13 to $15 an hour. Those are the only people that are going to be paid, except for, you know, we're going to have to pay an accountant to do the books and keep us out of prison. Right. Of which course. is getting to be more and more difficult, <laughs> especially if you're trying to get your kid into a, an important college. Right. But uh, we're avoiding that. So it's working out all right, and that's one of the things. But the second thing is, because of the education programs that started while I was there, I had a staff that did all the legwork. But we developed a lot of programs. We want to support the ones that we like, mm-hmm. that Ann and I like. Yeah. And that's going to be giving kids the opportunity to perform, to go to classes, to stretch their creative ability in performing. Not everybody's going to wind up being Justin Timberlake. But what I've told kids when I used to go to all those uh, classes where the students would come in for summer workshop, summer camp, Uh, We said, now all of you aren't going to be Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears, but all of you can do what I did because I don't have a talented bone in my body, Mm -hmm. but it's a lot of fun doing what I do. And I would have other people on my staff. I'd say, now here's Teresa. She runs our box office. She handles all the tickets for all the people that come in here. Here's uh, Skip. He runs the backstage. He makes sure that all the shows start on time. And I said, so there's a career for all of you in mm-hmm. the in the art. Yeah. You may not all be working for the Orpheum, but there are a lot of art opportunities, and that's what we want to open up for you. Yeah. So that's part of our program for the kids. 
Uh, the other thing that's part of this, too, is you mentioned here providing direction for the thousands of working uninsured in the community through your work with Church Health. Right. And yeah. I'm, we're going to continue doing that. What we're going to do is create symposiums and uh, fun events where people can come and learn more about the two programs that Church Health has. And there are other programs, but Church Health is the only operation in Memphis, and now it's in 22 other cities because mm-hmm. Scott really got this thing going nationally. But it's the only place where if you you have to have a job, you can be a bartender, a waitress, a hairstylist, you can cut grass, you can bag groceries at a grocery store. But if you don't have insurance because your company or whoever you work for doesn't have it, we will give it to you. But you have to have a job, any kind of job, 10, mm-hmm. day, 10 hours a week, mm-hmm. but you have to do something. Mm-hmm. And when you come to the church health, you sign in and you pay $35. Mm-hmm. And if at the end of your experience, your, your testing, you have to have brain surgery, it will not cost you another penny. Mm-hmm. The $35 will take care of you through the entire operation. Oh my, okay. And how wow. we do that is that Scott, in just he's a magician, uh, he got all the hospitals to donate the operation procedure space and equipment. Uh-huh. And we have 600 doctors that volunteer to do those operations and to just uh, exam stu- uh, patients. They, we have, they come in all the time. We have four regular doctors that work full-time, so we got a staff. Mm-hmm. But to take care of 17,000 people a year, yeah, you have to have these volunteers. Yeah. And you don't pay more than $35 when you come in. Wow. It's kind of like uh, St. Jude's and uh, another m- mobile unit. I mean, it, it's a different deal. Yeah. And one of the things that we do is when a lot of these kids from all over the world come to St. Jude's, we take care of their families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. St. Jude's doesn't take care of the mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. They take care of them and give them a place to live, but they don't take care of them medically. We take all of them. Okay. And they pay well. $35. Uh-huh. Wow. And, uh, oh, that's, that's amazing. It's an amazing they, program. That's yeah. why we yeah. love it so yeah. much. And I'm pretty good rabble rouser and I want to get out and beat that drum. So yeah. more and more people understand it. I've, yeah. I've told that to people that I've known all my, all my Memphis life and they go, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, been I've, here. It's I, been here for 31 years Yeah, yeah. and it's been written up and Scott spoke a hundred times to different groups mm-hmm. and, but it's there and we want people to take advantage of it. And such an important time in, in, in our country's in this, in the current environment, with with healthcare being such a big issue, yeah. Well, and I always talk to Scott about looking. I'm kind of like the guy that looks down the road. I always say, look at if if our current president, what's his name, if he <laughs> uh-huh. gets rid of the Affordable Act, the Care Act, what's that going to do? And Scott said, that's going to be the best thing in the world for us. We're going to mm-hmm. go to forty thousand students or right. patients. We're going to go to thirty five. 40,000 patients a year, yeah. and we'll just have to raise more money. Right, but right. he said, that's what we do, yeah. and we want we want to do it. Yeah. So, you know, I, we don't want that to happen because we think more and more people are going to want to stay with affordable health care. Yeah. But if it happens, yeah. not yeah. the worst thing that could happen to us. Right. 
We have to wrap up. <laughs> I'm, out of, I'm out of breath. I'm glad you said <laughs> Pat Halloran. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming today. Uh, I wish we had more time. I'm Thank available you. next week if you have. We could, we could <laughs> definitely do this again. We could do this again and keep talking. There you go. So thank you again for coming. Thanks um, for the invitation. Oh, thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you, Vance Durbin. Thank you, Tommy Warren, again. Thank you, WYPL and the Memphis Public Libraries for their support. To you listeners and supporters of the library and to FM 89.3. From here in Memphis to the greater Mid-South and well beyond, thank you for listening in. And we hope you join us next time on Storyboard 30 for more stories, more ideas, and those Memphis personalities and shapers who make our lives here in the Bluff City just a little bit better. Memphis, make it a great week. 